Amen, and good morning, church. Good morning, church here in the house. Good morning, church here in your houses. And uh, I would ask that uh, you would open your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Um, you're going to want to have your Bibles on your lap today. If you're not used to bringing your Bible, I really want to encourage you to do that here um, we're a, a church that's keyed in on that, and uh, I'll explain here in just a second, particularly with today. Uh, the present sermon series that we're in is the third of three that we've been on this year. Each of these three sermon series have been grabbing the, one of the words in our new church name, Radiant. Uh, early this year, we did Grasping His Greatness, and then Bible early this summer, we did trusting his word, and now we're on this present series kind of grabbing a hold of church. And What does a church look like? We're using the, the epistle of James to be the foundation for that, and it's about being his people, and what does that look like, and putting some uh, skin and bones to that. Today, we're in verses 19 through 21. We're uh, calling it uh, being his people in our exchanging and it's not e-exchanging like it's normally spelled. It's exchanging. Why, Pastor Doug, are you doing it that way? Because it's just cooler. <laughs> Straight up. Uh, I mean, it's like X-Men. It just, it's more memorable. So as I'm writing this down, I'm like, ah, anyone can do an exchange, but doing it with just an X, that's cool. With me? Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> I lost a bunch of you, I think, right there. Hey, I want to let you know today's sermon is already starting different, but uh, uh, it's going to be different, and, and here's what happened. So as I'm going through this week, I'm, I'm preparing a sermon, as I normally would, to preach to you, and uh, then it gets later in the week, and I'm kind of like, you know what? Uh, small groups are starting up this week. Yeah. Small groups are starting up. We're going to be doing small uh, fall-based, sermon-based uh, small groups again for this fall, and uh, in James, and I just as I'm going through this, I'm kind of like, I just love for us to have some time like doing a text together almost. So uh, today's different. Everybody say different. Okay, today's different, and it's less about me preaching, and it's more about just kind of join me, like we're in, in a room or office together, and we're going through this text, and I want to kind of take it. I'm hoping out of this, you will walk away today going, boy, that maybe was even helpful for me in understanding how to better study God's Word. That helped me in preparing for small group coming up here, and how to go about this. It clarified some things. So today is join me in the process, all right, with that? with that, so today's a different kind of a day. So here's what we're gonna do, we're gonna go uh, three main sections. We're gonna have first four considerations, and then we're gonna move after those four considerations, we're gonna talk about two sentences. Uh, verses 19 through 21 is two sentences, and so we're gonna talk about those, and then we're gonna finish with one exchange, and take a look at uh, one exchange, maybe all of us together can get after. So let's kind of work this through. Uh, four considerations. Four considerations uh, kind of are like, as you begin to start to study your Bible, uh, here's what I'd like for you to be thinking. I'd encourage you to kind of have on your mode of entering it, all right? So four considerations. Enter. Start big and, and narrow in. Uh, first consideration is uh, consider the text being entered. Uh, the text that we're entering is the book of James, and it's in the New Testament, and it's an epistle. 
So it's in the New Testament. We're not in the Old Testament, we're in the New Testament, and we're not in the Gospels, we're a little later. Uh, we've already talked about how James is about 15 years after the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ, same, about 15 years after the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so you have this taking place, and so we're understanding where we're entering in the New Testament. I would understand this to be, uh, James, the, the earliest of the New Testament uh, letters books written in the New Testament, that always fascinates me. I love early first beginning stuff. And so they don't have the rest of the New Testament. Uh, they have just this letter in the context of what's going on. It's an epistle. It's a letter. It, it's, it's not a textbook. We're not entering a textbook. We're entering a letter. We're not entering the Psalms. We're not entering the Proverbs. We're not entering a lament. We're also not entering historical narrative, like, say, maybe Genesis or the Gospels. We are entering into an epistle. It's a New Testament epistle that we're stepping into. That means it's written by, the human author is a real person writing to real people in a real place, in a real time, with real trials going on, and really trying to figure out what it looks like to be God's people in the earliest years of what I would view as the earliest years of the church with these messianic uh, uh, Jews. And so we have a New Testament epistle that's written by who? It's written by James. Uh, that helps with the title. It's written by James here. Uh, that's important because, I'll, let me say this. As you enter in, we're, we're reading a letter written by James. It's a human author. God's used James to write God's words, but it's James, and the personality even of the author comes through. James is not Peter. James is not Paul. James is not Luke. James is not the other New Testament writers. James is unique. And James writes uniquely, and James thinks uniquely, and frankly, that's really cool. And so when we enter it, we want to, part of what I want to do is have us get to know James. And so James does not write in a linear fashion, okay? Paul does, Luke does. Like, Paul writes like a lawyer, really long sentences. Luke writes like a doctor, and all that makes sense. James writes like... Neither. <laughs> I, the longer I'm in James, I like it because I'm more like James. I, I'm not straight line thought. Uh, I'm, I'm a li little bit of zigzagging. Uh, I would say it this way. James is a mountaineering guide. And what I mean by that is he starts us at a place and he walks us up a trail and then he zigs back. And then, he's walk and then he zags. And he's like walking up this trail. And, and so on this movement of it, he, James zigs and zags. And, and in that, he's not like a squirrel chaser where he's running all over the place without any purpose. I think he is strategically moving in a kind of a way. And sometimes he makes these turns with what's going on in it. So embrace James. I, I think he's a, a wonderful author. I love that he zigs and zags. It gives me hope in life. Consider the text. Second, consider the paragraphs. We're in an epistle. Uh, I've said a few times, I don't know if you picked it up this year, this, in the last uh, weeks, but a few times I've said, we are gonna study James paragraph by paragraph. You may be familiar with hearing the term, we're gonna study the text verse by verse. I've strategically said paragraph by paragraph because really epistolary thought moves by paragraphs. 
And one of the things that ends up happening is, is when we go verse, when we think verse by verse, which is true, I get it, but when we think that way, we can end up with the Philippians 4.13 syndrome. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. By the way, do you know what context that is in? Do you know what the surrounding context of that paragraph or even that is? And so what ends up happening is we grab a verse like that and we yank it out of, because sentences swim in paragraphs and their surrounding paragraphs. And we end up grabbing that fish and we just pull it out and we use it out of context. And so Philippians 4.13 becomes that passage where when I was a young boy at camp and I'm trying to do the, do the 10 pull-ups and I'm on like number eight and it ain't happening, and at the Christian camp, all the counselors are like, come on, man, you can do all things through Christ. Do that pull-up. And I'm like developing a bad attitude about Jesus not helping me right now. And so we end up doing that, or we end up saying that, hey, uh, we can win this football game because Jesus. Uh, friends, uh, we don't want to do that. We, we understand paragraphs move through the context. Epistolary thought moves by paragraphs. Third, consider this paragraph. In other words, consider the particular paragraph that you're in. I've already alluded, paragraphs are building blocks of epistolaries. They're building blocks of biblical letters. And in this, so one of the questions, every time you come to a paragraph, you should be asking, so is this continuing a thought? Is it furthering a thought? Or is it beginning a thought? Is it continuing the trail, or is he turning a corner in it? And because James zigs and zags, uh, that can be a challenge. And I want to say this, don't get frustrated by that. Embrace the journey of that. Embrace the, the, the idea of, I'm going to get down in, and I'm going to work this text. I'm going to think it through. Is he beginning it, or, or is, he, is he continuing it? And by the way, our Bibles oftentimes have these inserted headings. That, you know what I'm talking about there? Those in, like before verse 19, mine says, hearing and doing the word. They can be a blessing, and they can be a curse. They can be a blessing because they kind of give a general gist of what's going on. They can be a curse because they kind of give a general gist of what's going on. And oftentimes, straight up with you, oftentimes the headings end up dumbing us down and narrowing us in. We read the heading and we go, oh, okay, so it's going to tell me that. And we actually don't dig in and, and mine it out. So uh, consider the text, consider the paragraphs. I'm moving in closer and closer, getting ready to study. Consider this paragraph. And then fourth, consider the sentence or consider the sentences within the paragraph. Our paragraph today, verses 19 through 21, has two sentences. How many? Two. Two wa. It has two sentences in it. Uh, I have the English Standard Version. It has two sentences. Most translations have it as two sentences. The original Greek language has verses 19 through 21 as one paragraph and as two sentences. And sentences comprise the paragraph. Don't yank them, but they come together. And I'll note this. As an example, the two sentences here, the beginning of the sentence, oftentimes in a paragraph, the first words of the sentence of the first sentence and the first words of the last sentence or somewhere in the middle can end up telling you the general idea of what that paragraph is about. Like here, verse 19, it opens with know this. Know this. The second sentence begins with therefore. Friends, you already have an idea of where James is going in the paragraph. There is something that we're to know and out of the knowing of something, we are therefore something else is supposed to happen. 
Okay, so we already have the idea of it, and so now with all of that, we can move into the text. By the way, all of that can be done in like one minute. For instance, like this. Know the text. We're in the New Testament. It's the book of James. Uh, uh, it's an epistle. It's the earliest days of the church. Um, in this, it's the paragraphs. Epistolary thought moves by line of paragraphs, so I'm really gonna have my mind importance on following paragraphs. I'm in a particular paragraph. Is it continuing a line of thought, or is it uh, doing the zag, and is it bringing in a new line of thought that's being built onto all of this? And then with this is consider the sentences. Uh, the sentences matter. Where are the sentences at? How do they flow? Sometimes the first sentence, the last sentence can tell me the general gist. Now I'm ready to go. Okay? Hopefully that helps you a little bit in getting familiar with your Bible and digging in. So let's dig in. All right? So the next part here, I'm going to read verses 19 through 21. And let's dig in together. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Okay, let's go into these two sentences. Let's start with the first sentence. Remember, today is a different day. We're kind of doing this together. Let's go in the first sentence. Let's grab it piece by piece. Verse 19, the first uh, few group of words here. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let's pause there. So uh, James is specifically addressing a specific group of people. This is not an address to every person on the earth. He is talking to a specific group of people. Do you see that? It's my brothers and sisters. By the way, that means that James is talking to, which we already learned early in the text, but it's just a reminder, James is talking to redeemed believers in Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if there has come a time, point in time in your life where you've come to realize that you're a sinner fallen short of the glory of God and you are in need of a Savior to redeem you and that the only Savior that can do that is what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He stood in my place, did for me what I could not do for myself, and as many as are received him to them he gave the right to become children of God as and if you have received Christ as your savior and as I say driven that stake in the ground know this James is talking to you okay James is talking to you and by the way he says in this my beloved brothers and sisters I'm just gonna say this how cool is that you know we just move past those things but how cool is that here is James as a leader and yet he's not viewing himself as some self-help guru, and then he's talking to customers. That's not what's happening here. He's talking to beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. And by the way, that even makes him on equal par. It's like he's talking to, hey, my siblings in Christ. We're together in this. He's not on some authoritarian kick bossing people around. I love that fact. How wonderful it is when leaders truly care about the very people that they do life with, right? And oftentimes in a world where leaders get on a big giant kick about themselves, but not James. Uh, James, uh, my beloved brothers and sisters. Notice this, he wants them to know something. Some specific thing. It's like, know this. 
He wants his siblings in Christ to know. There's a knowing that takes place here. It's know this. It's, it's some versions of this you know. It's uh, take note. I like this. It kind of has the idea of pay attention. Brothers and sisters in Christ, pay attention because I have something that is really important for you to know. At this point in time, we should be like, what is it, man? Like, what is it? Like, I have respect for you, James. Uh, talk to me, man. What is it that we are to know? Well, remember, we're to be asking the question, is he furthering thought or is he beginning a new thought? I could make more com comments on that, but I'm gonna hold on that. Uh, uh, some people think it's one. Some people think he's referring back to verse 18. Some think he's making a turn like I do. I think the first uh, 18 verses have been the first trail up and now he zigs and now he's on kind of coming back. It connects, but he's making a turn here. And so what he's about to say has to do with what's about to come. So what are his brothers and sisters to know? Next part of the verse, of the sentence. Let every person be. Every person in Christ, because that's who he's talking to, every person in Jesus Christ is to know something, is to pay attention to what he's about to say. By the way, every person is an individual reality as well as this is also in the context of a collective reality. James is talking to his brothers and sisters, but the fact of his brothers and sisters also mean that there's a collective us. So it's individual, it's also collective in with what's going on. And I'll just note this, it's not a momentary do, it's a lifelong be. It's not just do this, it's not like, hey, this week, uh, take out the trash. It's be, let Every brother and sister in Christ be. Be what? Here we go. Number one, quick to hear. Every one of God's people, every one of God's people, we are to be quick to hear. <laughs> and all God's people who said, ugh. Quick to hear. We're to be fast to hear. We're to be swift to hear. We're to be hurry up and listen. Not for others, for us. We're to be that way. I, I'm, when it comes to listening, I'm hurry at that. Like, hurry up and listen. That's what he's talking about. And it's everyone. It's everyone without exception. And we're to be characterized as being big time hearers, quick to hear, fast to ascertain, uh, listening to learn. We're swift to ask questions. We're to be slow to assume. Slow to assume that we know what's going on and even what you mean by that and even where that's coming from. We're to be slow to do that. Instead, we should be quick to hearing to confirm so that our knowledge is actually correct. By the way, this would really be not a good time to do the nudge or judge thing. In other words, like, goodness, Doug, I hope the person sitting next to me or in this room hears this. Not the time for that. Not the nudge, not the judge moment. This is you, this is me. We're to be this. Quick to hear. Secondly, slow to what? 
<laughs> no one wants to speak. <laughs> slow to what? Speak. Be slow to enter the conversation. Be slow to enter the conversation with words. It can, can be interpreted. Be quiet. Know this. This is really important to understand this. James is not saying never talk. James is not saying rarely talk. That's not what he's saying. You know, like at a crime scene or a fire, you know, policemen, uh, firemen, uh, women, you know, when your first responders, EMTs, your first responders, uh, uh, you can just imagine, what's the first thing that needs to happen there? The, the first thing on the table is, is, I need to hear what's going on. I need to ascertain what's taking place. And then I'm trying to figure out what's, that's the picture, that's the picture. Quick to that, slow to speak. Know God's people, our first response is to hear. Speaking comes in later. Third, slow to anger. It carries this idea of slow to defend yourself, slow to being defensive, slow to being resistant, slow to a wrathful life. And again, don't do the nudge or judge. This is us, individually, collectively. Slow to anger. And here's an important thing. The verse ends here, but the sentence does not. Sometimes those verses also are really helpful and they can really get in the way. The sentence doesn't stop here. It goes into verse 20. Let's continue. We've got these three triads on the table. For the anger of man. By the way, for is not saying there's a fourth item. He's now actually building off of the third item. For the anger, and now he draws in the specific realm of anger. It's the anger of man. It's the anger of us, in our own heart, in our own thinking. For the anger of man does not produce. By the way, that means that Angry living does produce something. Angry living produces something. Wrathful lifestyles, they accomplish something. They do. Defensive living, it achieves something. But look at what he says, not the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Paul uses that terminology kind of a category for the intrinsic nature of who God is and all of what God is and what he's done. Uh, it's not talking about that as I would understand in this category. I would agree with Moo. He talks here, he says, human anger does not produce behavior that is pleasing to God. We are talking about the kind of behavior, the kind of life living that, that God would want. It, it doesn't produce right living. It doesn't produce the kind of right relationship uh, living that God desires for his people, Johnson talks about. It's a life of anger, a life angry in thought and deed does not produce, does not accomplish, does not achieve the kind of living that God desires and expects of his people, period. First sentence done. I want to pause here before going into the second sentence. Because I think something is really important in understanding movement here. 
It's at the, all of a sudden, this next sentence, uh, some translations actually make it into a whole new paragraph. I think that's a mistake. Uh, the original language, it's, it's in this paragraph, and I think they make that paragraph break because they think it has more to do with the after because how do you fit it with the prior? I want to say this. Think, think about that first sentence. James is calling God's people to be three things. And in calling God's people to be three things, he knows in himself and he knows of all of us that generally we aren't always good at one, two, or all three of them. But the fact of being called in an imperative matter to be these three implies the fact that we should be these three even if we aren't presently those three. James implies the ability to be these because if God is asking us to do something as a, as a redeemed person in Christ that is impossible to do, God is not only unloving, but God is unfair. Because God is then asking us to do something that we can't do, something to be that we can't be. And yet James implicitly is having in here the idea that, listen, you are called to these three and you are to be them. Without question, it's not the, yeah, but you don't know me. No, 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 it's every one of us, right? Everyone is to be these. So the next sentence actually makes perfect sense with that idea. And so let's go at sentence two. Therefore, whenever there's a therefore, ask why it's therefore. Why is the therefore there? Well, it continues. It grabs what was just stated and says, in light of that, therefore, Therefore, put away. Put away. Rid yourself. Pull out a weed. Put it away. Uh, the original reader would certainly understand this above any of those other uh, word ideas, would certainly understand the picture because the way that it was used was the idea of clothing. And in fact, that's why in the center screen I have this picture of this guy who's uh, shopping for clothes. I didn't have a woman shopping for clothes because women are generally more so than men comfortable shopping for clothes and men are uncomfortable oftentimes shopping for clothes. I don't like to shop for clothes. Thank you, God, for my wife. You know, in the times I come out of the closet, <laughs> she's like, no, bless your heart. <laughs> No, 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 no. Uh, I sweat when I shop. Don't ask me if I need help. I'm one of those dorks. So in this, and, and in this, know this, there is a putting away. And in fact, the context of this idea, it's put away and put away what? It's put away all filthiness. See the text? All filthiness and rampant wickedness. It's take off that which is stained, that which is grimy, that which is filthy, and put it away. The idea of the words mean it's not like, a, you know, I'm tired of this, and I just, it's an easy exchange. Actually, the words have this idea that it's a fighting act. It's kind of a fighting act against a foe, against a foe that can take on many forms. It's a wrestling off. It's a, listen, I've come to realize that this that I'm wearing, this is grimy and filthy, and this needs to go, even though, frankly, I kind of enjoy it. But it needs to go. It needs to be put away. By the way, not put away up in the closet to repull. 
It's take it off. Oh, and then and. And means it's not done yet. It's not just put away. This is really important, parents. It's not just stop doing, kid. There's a replacing. Stop and receive. This is a common theme, and particularly with Paul, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3. And this is one of the things I love about it. James beats Paul to the plate in bringing this illustration to the table. Put away and receive. Receive, it means uh, to, take and re- to take off and to replace it. Get into that just a little bit more here in a minute. Friends, this is the great exchange. This is the great exchange of the Christian life. And, uh, and receive, note it says, with meekness. It's the opposite with pushback. It may be like, I don't really want to because this is my favorite shirt, even though I've come to realize it's filthy and grimy and I need to put it off because the Lord doesn't want me to wear that, do be that anymore. It's gonna be tough on it, but at the same time, with meekness, it's a, I love this term, a self-subduing gentleness. I'm going to subdue myself and not fight the Lord. This isn't a fight with me and the Lord. I'm self-subdued gentleness Lord, I'm going to submit, and I'm going to get after this exchange process. And this filthy thing in me, I'm coming to realize, or I've known, it needs to go. And I need to not just try and get the little shout out and wipe it off. The whole thing's got to go. Put away and receive with meekness, what? The implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is not talking about uh, the uh, receiving Jesus Christ as your savior. He's already talking to redeemed followers in Christ. It's this terminology, realize, they have no other New Testament books at hand for them. They only have this letter of James and the Old Testament. So what does this term then mean? The implanted word, uh, I would call it the engrafted word. It's the whole of the gospel that includes the entire process of salvation from start to finish. It's this idea of what Jesus talks about in Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives this parable of the four soils. He talks about the first one, and the second, and the third one, and then he gets to the fourth one. What the text is talking about here is this fourth soil. The fourth soil is the good soil. It's rich soil. It's been turned over. Sometimes it's been plowed and hard, and it's ready now to receive the good news of Jesus. And the seed is Jesus. The seed is the word. The seed is the gospel. And clearly, Jesus is giving this marvelous picture. You are the dirt. Sorry, friend. You and I are the dirt, uh, but the seed comes in, and when we receive the seed, what happens there? It doesn't just sit there, and we just sit there. An exchange starts taking place. I put in the nutrients that is in my soil, and I start pouring uh, the moisture, the, the nutrients into the seed. And what happens with the seed? The seed is Jesus. The seed begins to grow, and it begins to spread roots. It's not like overnight. It's slow, and, and so it begins to grow. And then what happens? Out of the seed, it begins to sprout. And then what starts happening above ground? What happens above ground is actually a sign of what's happening underground. And as I am pouring into the seed, it comes out, and fruit 
comes out. And Jesus says, 30, 60, 100 fold. The point isn't who produces the most. It's not a competition. The point is, is fruit is produced. And by the way, people, when they look at the fruit, they don't go, that soil is awesome. They go, what has grown out of that soil is awesome. And the fruit is the reality of a changing life. That's the idea. Put away and receive. Pour yourself into Jesus. The other week we talked out of James 1.14 that we are our worst enemies when it comes to sin. I don't need Satan around. I don't need you around. I can just sin all on my own just fine. And so can you. James talked about And so here, I think James is coming back, and while it's connected, he's also doing a a zig here, and he's talking about, hey, listen, friends, there are some things that you need to know, that you need to put away. And instead of just leaving us to figure those out, he gives three on the table for us. And in those, as he's talking about them, you need to approach these like put away and put on. The gospel that resides within you let it, let it do its work. And we should be changing and growing. Two sentences. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, Put away, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. By the way, look at verse 22. It begins with but. I would say this. It's continuing. We're gonna pick it up there next week. But before we finish out, I think it would be appropriate for us to consider one exchange. As we've just uh, touched on this, and we've kind of, if you will, in a Bible study, almost walked this through together. For a moment, I would like for us to consider kind of my, uh, my buddy on the big screen here shopping. I have a question for you. Is he grabbing this shirt to put on to add or to make an exchange? There's a big difference. Now, let me note this. Consumers add. Generally, when we're out buying clothes, I think generally we're adding to our closet, <laughs> right? That's normally what happens until you get to a point where it's like it's too full, and then you got to. But generally, the thing is, uh, is consumers add shopping for clothing is an adding to activity generally, and Christian consumerism has that idea. Christian consumerism has that idea today that I am who I am, I think how I think, I prefer what I prefer, I prefer who I prefer, and to all of that, I'd just like to add some Jesus. Lovingly. That is not the gospel. And I think this is actually in Matthew 7 why Jesus says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And he says, but I will say to you, I never knew you. Why? Because I think a lot of people have even prayed to receive Christ as their Savior with the idea that they're just adding Jesus to who they are. They just want something on top. Put some chocolate on top of the vanilla ice cream. That is not receiving the gospel. Jesus 
isn't interested in that. He's not interested in that, friend. Instead, exchangers replace. We're talking about this. Exchangers replace. When is a thief no longer a thief? Well, when they stop stealing. Biblically wrong. A thief is no longer a thief biblically when a thief turns into a giver. When is a liar no longer a liar? Well, when they stop lying. Biblically, you're halfway. Biblically, a liar is no longer a liar when a liar speaks the truth. And this is the pattern here that Paul talks about, that James is talking about here. Put away and receive. Take off and replace. And he gives us this triad. Quick to listen. Put that on. Slow to speak. Put that on. Slow to anger. Put that on. And let me finish with this note. How interesting is it that in our present day and age, in the recent months of our world, our world has been characterized by listening is not required. By speaking, by tweeting, by posting, your viewpoint is the absolute requirement, and in fact you need to be quick to do it because silence is violence. That's interesting. And Jesus says, be slow. James says, be slow to speak. And then in our world, we live in an angry world, friends. Have you noticed that recently? It's like everyone's mad. And frankly, it's pulled me into being mad at times. You with me on that? And what our world needs, our world is slow to listen. They don't want to listen to each other. They don't want to hear. They don't want to understand. They don't want to have a sit down and exchange. I just know what it is. We're to be the opposite of that. The world is just like really quick to speak and we're to be the opposite of that. The world is just like quick to anger and we're to be the opposite of that. And what our world needs is the opposite of a people like that. I would, I would like to leave this. I, I know small groups you're meeting this week for the purpose of just kind of catching up and getting started or, or maybe a brand new small group together in it all. And I know that's the purpose of what's going on. But maybe you might consider, even if it's just 15 minutes or something, maybe you might consider here uh, as you get together, uh, maybe you talk about one. And I'm gonna suggest the quick to listen. Because after all, if you think about it more, if I'm quick to listen... I'm gonna tend to be slower to speak. And if I'm quick to listen, it means I wanna understand, that means I'm also gonna be a little bit slower to get angry. So if I can, can I just say as a church family, maybe in small groups, maybe as a family, maybe singles, you get together with a friend or have a conversation who's been here, couples, you talk together about it over dinner or something with that. And what does it look like for us to be better, quicker listeners? I'll leave that on the table for you. And God, we ask for your help. Lord, we need to hear from your word because frankly, this isn't just James speaking it. We know that this is your word. We know that this is you speaking all this. So this isn't just a suggestion from a mere mortal. This is a redeemed person in Christ who is telling us what we know are 
your truths, your words, the very words of God. And so God, we stand before you as a people in need of wanting to change, in need of changing. And Lord, we need your help. It's not a bucket up and work harder. It's actually a process of understanding what I need to put off and going after it by your grace, by your help, by the work of the Spirit, by the power of the Word and fight that foe and go after it again and again and again to put it away. And not just put it away, but to replace it. And God, particularly, I would even ask maybe as families, as individuals, that we would be thinking about this quick to listen. God, we tend to be slow to listen. And I pray as we consider that, that we would put that off and we put quick to listen back into us. I want to hear. I want to understand. I want to know. Help us in our homes. Help us as a church. Help us as individuals in Christ. In your name we pray.